Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest set of talks. This will be a two-parter on AI and radiology, current status and trends. And these will be the last two talks of the 2019 year. Um, it's important to note that I'm giving these before the RSNA, and you'll be hearing them after the RSNA. And if things change drastically at the RSNA, which I doubt, we'll be back in touch. But I thought I would do is finish up the year with AI, and AI is the biggest story of 2019, and it's going to be the biggest story of 2020 and for many years to come. Now, I always like to make the point with AI, the Don Rumsfeld quote, as we know, there are no knowns, the things we know we know. There are the known unknowns, that is to say, we know there are some things we do not know. But there are also unknown unknowns, the ones we don't know we don't know. And that's where AI is. There really is so much we don't know that it's very exciting. We can talk about AI and machine learning and representation learning and deep learning. There are many ways to think about it. And just some definitions. Deep learning is a subset of machine learning and is the basis for most AI tools for image interpretation. Deep learning means that the computer has multiple layers of algorithms interconnected. These layers accumulate data from inputs and provide an output that can change step by step once the AI systems learns new features. This idea of multi-layered algorithms is really what forms these artificial neural networks which can not only memorize and learn as we do with classic computers, but can really, in a sense, think on their own. And that's why there's a difference between CAD and true AI. CAD can make diagnosis for which it's been specifically trained and based on a training data set, and it recognizes what has already been shown. But true AI is characterized by the process of autonomous learning. That is, without explicit programming of each step, based on a network of algorithms and connections similar to what people actually do. So you recognize that AI is so much more powerful than CAD. And one of the reasons CAD has been disappointing is because there are infinite numbers of examples. So we can't show them all to the computer. And so the computer will fail when it sees something that it's never seen before. Now I've made the point that radiology, like all of medicine, is not perfect. We make errors, and so what AI can hopefully provide us is a way of decreasing our error rate. I would like to think that AI is not going to replace radiologists, but it's going to change how we practice, and that surely is going to be the case. Now, in this article in the New England Journal of Medicine, Obermeyer said, well, the patient safety movement will increasingly advocate the use of algorithms over humans. That's a problem. Algorithms need no sleep. They're vigilant at 2 a.m. Algorithms will also monitor and interpret physiologic data, replacing aspects of anesthesiology and critical care. The time scale for these disruptions is years and not decades. So some people take it to the extreme where perhaps you won't need radiologists or pathologists. Maybe you'll have a couple of them supervising the computers that are making all the decisions. I don't think surely for a while that's going to be the case. I think the key is going to be for us to grow with the computers and AI become a very positive and powerful force in us doing better. So where do we stand today? There are articles that talk about research. And so I'm going to show you things that are published and are coming along. This was an algorithm looking for malignant nodules on chest radiographs. 
And in this article published by Zhu Gang Nam in Radiology, the deep learning algorithm uh, was able to outperform physicians in radiographic classification and nodule detection for malignant pulmonary nodules on chest radiographs. And when it was used with physicians as a second reader, and it was able to enhance physicians' performance. Now this is only for nodule detection and classification, but it improved on what a radiologist can do, and the implications for patient care, you could see that the third implication was when accompanied by our deep learning-based automatic detection algorithm, all physicians improve their nodule detection performances. This is making us better, okay? Our deep learning-based automatic detection algorithm demonstrated higher performance than the thoracic radiologist group. It was better, but here they're not saying throw away the radiologist, but here we can make them better. Another step in JAMA, development and validation of a deep learning-based automatic detection algorithm for major thoracic diseases on chest radiographs, and it went beyond nodules to effusions and neoplasms and TB and pneumothorax, and again, it had the potential to improve the quality and efficiency of clinical practice. And when you look carefully at this article, it was impressive. They looked at 54,000 plus radiographs that were normal and 35,000 with abnormal findings. And by the end of the day, when the computers were trained, the algorithm outperformed physicians, including radiologists, and enhanced physician performance when used as a second reader. Again, very important. And this article also goes on to say that it may also improve the clinical workflow by prioritizing what x-rays need to be read earlier. Remember, I'll speak in a moment about detecting brain bleeds and how it triages patients faster. Perhaps here we can separate the normal from the abnormal, and the abnormal studies would be read first, and so when physicians are very busy and they're most attentive early in the morning, they'd be looking at the abnormal or the more difficult cases. Now, this article was just published on looking at intracranial hemorrhage using deep learning, and this article only trained on 4396 head CTs at UCSF, demonstrated the highest accuracy to date for this clinical application with operator characteristic area under the curve of 0.99. And you can see in this case, it was also better than two of the four expert radiologists. And here's just one set of images. But you can see in the article, the point being that they were able to do well but do better than experts. So now imagine combining this with the experts. And again, just to show you, it's not just limited to CT, be it chest or chest x-rays or head or body. In this case, it was in breast imaging where the deep neural networks improved the radiologist's performance. And this was literally published within the last couple of weeks. But look at their training, 200,000 exams over a million images was how the computer was trained. And you can see the computer was trained, and these were annotations by an individual person. They conducted a study of 14 readers. And at the end of the day, what they showed was that a hybrid model, averaging the probability of malignancy predicted by a radiologist with a prediction of our neural network, is more accurate than either of the two separately. And I think that's very exciting, because what you're saying now is the computer alone is good, the radiologist alone is good, 
together the better. So this idea of being able to do this is important. This article also went on to say that in addition to testing the utility of this model in real-time reading of screening mammograms, a clear next step would be predicting the development of breast cancer in the future before it is even visible to the trained eye. Now, of course, that question will be, and we talk about that with pancreatic cancer as well, how good a computers can they detect things that are in the image but are not visible to us? So that's going to be a challenge. Now, those last four articles I showed you are articles that are published, but one could say perhaps this is in clinical practice in research institutions on well-defined studies. It's not the real world. Well, the real world is when the FDA approves something and you can sell it or buy it. So the FDA is looking very hard at trying to figure out how to deal with algorithms. The exact regulatory pathway and burden will be determined by intent. That is whether AI is used for detection or diagnosis and whether it can be used as an adjunct or replacement. So again, it's very tricky when you're the FDA. But what it looks to me like when you start looking, the early trends are the applications the FDA approves are very limited in scope, wrist fractures, not fractures throughout the body, for example. Improving triage, it's not having an app to detect bleeding, but simply detecting bleeding and then moving it to the front of the list so you read it early. It's not saying have the computer read it instead of the radiologist. It's just a triage process. And we're also seeing it's smaller companies, though that's not necessarily the case. But a lot of the initial apps are small companies. And this is FDA approval through July 2019. It's a busy slide, but you can see of all the different specialties, radiology has the most apps approved. And the speed of approval is increasing. And you can see, although I've mentioned small companies and you can see lots of names on this list you've never heard of, there are other companies that you have heard of, like Apple Computer. So it's really big and small and this will continue to be the trend. So what things have the FDA approved? Here's an app that's detecting wrist fractures on plain radiographs. Not the elbow, only the wrist. The software marks the location of the fracture on the image to aid the provider in detection and diagnosis. And that's called OsteoDetect. And what happens with this is not intended to be used as replacement for radiologists, but in areas where there's no radiologist and it can do much better, I think it was roughly 93% accurate. So again, it's helpful, it's not perfect, it's not replacing the radiologist, but in an area it can really improve diagnoses. Now take that a step forward, this is a company, this was actually a special surgery in New York, which is a, a famous orthopedic center, and they formed a company that actually will try to bring this to market, but they looked at 135,000 plus radiographs of various body parts. And they were able to do is train the computer, and you can see here as part of their algorithms, to be able to detect fractures on radiographs with an accuracy similar to a senior subspecialized orthopedic surgeon. They were also able to show that, and they predicted that it's getting good enough that'll even be better than a senior subspecialized radiologist. So you can see from going from the wrist only to every body part. Now, 
AI Doc has approval for several things. One is something called Briefcase, and this is kind of simple. What it's doing is it's looking for detecting hemorrhage on head CT. And what it's doing is if it finds a hemorrhage on head CT, it marks it, and then it pushes it to the front of the list so the radiologist will read it faster. So if you're a big teleradiology practice or a big hospital practice, maybe it takes you 45 to 50 minutes to get to a specific case when it's very busy. Well, with a brain bleed, time is brain. So now what we're doing is moving it to the front of the list. It's really wonderful when you think about it because what's the worst thing that could happen? If the computer was wrong, you're going to have to read the case anyway. It's also been shown with some of the articles that the computer sometimes picks up a bleed that the radiologist will miss, but nevertheless, you triage and you speed up the process. And for the radiologist, and these are some AI doc slides to share with you that they gave me, you can see that it would mark specifically what the case is that was of concern and how you would go from there. Now, using this app, this is from the University of Washington, they were able to show that not only was the app able to triage, but the specificity was 99%, sensitivity 95%, and overall accuracy 98%. Very, very impressive indeed. And in this article, the conclusion deep learning has shown promise as a technique in aiding physicians in performing this test accurately and expeditiously and may be especially useful in a resource-constrained context. So obviously, the busier you are, the better this is going to be. And it's not just AI doc. Zebra had similar approval. You go forward, what many of the companies are doing are doing things that are acute. So here, the FDA approved a pneumothorax detection from Zebra. Again, the idea is can you pick up pneumothoraces, and so the scans are read faster. And this is for chest x-rays, obviously. And GE recently got that approval as well as part of a way of prioritizing critical care x-rays. It's really kind of brilliant because it helps prioritize the critical cases and can cut the overall review time for up to eight hours. In part, that's because you maybe you do a film at night and you don't read it to the morning. Now you'd be reading every one of these films. And again, it's part of the workflow. If a pneumothorax is suspected, an alert, along with the original chest x-ray, is sent directly to the radiologist for review via PACS. And so it's really simple. We're trying to make certain patients get the best care and that critical findings are dealt with very quickly. Again, AI Doc has a new approval for detecting pulmonary emboli. And again, pulmonary emboli are critical. Again, you want to move it to the front of the list. And so the idea about scanning a patient and speeding up the process between reading, helping detect abnormalities, triaging the cases, highlighting the images for the radiologist are going to become important. And again, you can imagine a case done at the end of the day may wait till tomorrow. Now it won't. A case that was put aside may be read quicker everything for triage, everything for better patient care. And you can see as companies like AI Doc, and again, I have no conflict of interest with AI Doc, they're pursuing the packages for acute things, bleeds, fractures, acute abdomen, metastinal widening, PE, dissection, and the like, because what you really want to do is help reduce misdiagnosis, prioritize, and improve throughput. 
you want to move the cases that are most critical to the front of the list. We have to read them anyway. We might as well read them first. And so there's no doubt to me what you're seeing next are more targeted apps. FDA approval is slow but steady. FDA approval will come from both the small and the larger companies. Siemens had some recent approvals, as had GE. And again, there are other apps that are being done in the research environment, and the question will be translation from research environment into clinical use. And perhaps that's a good transition into what we've been doing, and I spoke about this before. The Lust Garden Foundation has supported our work for the early detection of pancreatic cancer on CT. We know in looking at patients in pancreatic clinic that often three to 12 months before a patient presents with pancreatic cancer, they've had a scan, maybe it's vague abdominal pain, maybe it's some discomfort, where in retrospect, the lesion can be detected early. Now I know everything can be seen in retrospect, but we want to improve the ability to pick up early cancers where they can be operated on. Less than 80% of patients who present at time of presentation with pancreatic cancer are resectable. We want to change those numbers. And articles at Hopkins or other institutions do show this to be a real problem. So what we did is, the first year, we trained the computer using normal patients, renal donors, to be able to recognize the various organs in the abdomen. We taught it to recognize the stomach and liver and adrenals and kidneys because we recognize when you look for the pancreas, if you can recognize the other organs, you'll recognize the pancreas as well and it'll help decrease false positive and it's gonna help us better understand. It's just like driverless cars. You need to try to think about the problem as if you were a human. And when we read CTs of the pancreas, we look at the other organs. We look at the common duct and the pancreatic duct. We look at the vessels. We look at the liver. We look at the spleen, the stomach. We look at everything. And so we were able to, by the end of the year, get really good at that. Now, we use this annotation, which was expensive and painful and time-consuming, three to four hours a case. But the supervised learning where you label is much more difficult, but at the end of the day, we concluded that unless we did that, we were not going to get good results. And so you can see from these results, annotation is us drawing and prediction is the computer. It's one-to-one -one here, or even when the portal vein and SMV and splenic veins sit in the way, you can see how both the computer and the annotation are basically one-on-one. -on -one. And you can see by the end of the year, the computer could perfectly recognize all of the organs with a very, very high score. And not just say this is liver, but draw the boundaries of the liver. And the algorithms we developed, Alan Yuli and his team, were really state-of-the-art, better than anything that was published to date. And our multi-organ segmentation indeed was very impressive. So you and Park and Linda Chu published an article on this just a few months ago. The second year we worked on pancreatic cancer to teach the computer to be able to recognize pancreatic cancer. Just because we can recognize normal structures does not mean we can recognize pancreatic cancer. So we went back and we drew every cancer. When we drew the cancers, we drew the rest of the pancreas and the normal organs. Very much again teaching the computer everything about the study they would need to see. We also taught the computer to think like a radiologist, whether it was looking at shape 
or attenuation or texture, whether it was looking at ducts like the pancreatic duct or common duct, whether it was looking at vascular structures. And so by the end of time, the computer was able to, you can see from the motion, be able to recognize in red the tumor, in turquoise the patient's duct, and the pancreas in blue. And you can see as I go through a few of these cases, in this case, look at the size of the tumor in red, five millimeters, a centimeter, under two centimeters. So not just picking up large tumors, but with better than 90% accuracy, we could pick up even the smallest tumors. And our approach reported a sensitivity of 94% and a specificity of 98%. And you can see very nicely on these sets of images I'm gonna show you right now. You can look at the motion, again, as we scroll through the data set, you can see very nicely the patient's tumor in red, pancreas in purple, how sharply detailed the images are, whether we use single or multi-phase data. You can see how it matches so nicely between the labeling and the patient's tumor itself, very nicely shown in this regard. We spoke about some of the techniques we use, of course, to find detection technique, which allowed us to pick up smaller tumors, also tumors off the tail or head of the pancreas. This 3D convolutional neural network became very critical in our work to allow us to better understand and think about things in a novel 3D-based course-defined framework to tackle these challenges rather than the classic 2D mode. And the 3D framework, in our experience, outperformed the 2D counterpart by a large margin because it really can use the three-dimensional understanding. And this indeed became very, very important. And you can see as we look at the geometry, as we look at shape, we notice challenges were off the uncinate process or tail of the pancreas. And as we taught its shape and contour, we're able to get around these problems. This recurrent saliency transformation network, which you can read about, it's put on our website. Uh, again, it does a lot of different things to allow you to segment out the data. Coarse and fine segmentation networks can be optimized jointly. The coarse segmentation mask can help find segmentation. And we've published on this, again, explaining how it allows joint optimization over the deep networks, dealing with different input scales in testing. Uh, and it worked very nicely across a range of pancreatic tumors. We've also done work with autoimmune pancreatitis. We've done work with neuroendocrine tumors. And in all scenarios, this seems to work very nicely. Now, another thing we did was radiomics. But let's do this. Let's take a couple minute break, and then let's pick up with the radiomics and how we use it for detecting and evaluating pancreatic masses. I'll be right back. If you liked what you heard here today, please make sure to hit that subscribe button and visit our website, ctss.com, for lectures, quizzes, pearls, and more. Also, be sure to check out our apps that are available for free on the Apple Store. All links are in the description box below.